featured presentation. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Tom DJ. And I'm still Jared Ferguson. And this is, of course, Better in the Dark, the straight out of Brooklyn exploration of cinema. We've kind of expanded a little bit since last we recorded. Thank goodness. But we'll get back to that some other time. <laughs> we won't go into any of the details here. The sordid details. Yes. Oh, the scandal, the scandal. We are back with the second part of what is shaping up to be our most popular series yeah, that we're running. A lot of you, and thank you so much for your support of that episode. I've gotten personally a lot of email and instant messaging from a lot of you out there listening to it, telling me how much you enjoyed that episode. Which, of course, is why we're doing this one right now. That's the most downloaded of our episodes so far, which is the first part of the Marvel at the Movies series, which we're going to be doing throughout 2007, and I guess in 2008 we'll do DC. The first episode, if you remember, dealt with Spider-Man in time for his third film to be released, and we'll discuss that in the second We Saw That episode, which (laughs) will come out sometime in July. Oh, I can't wait for that. You thought I was going crazy. I have a feeling you're going to be... You people are going to hate me. I'm going to tell you right (laughs) now. You're going to hate me when we get to that one. But it's June, which means it's time for the second of the big Marvel movie releases, namely the Fantastic Four. And we're going to be spending this hour and change talking about the Fantastic Four and all media incarnations. Mm, Cartoons... The the infamous Roger Corman film that almost nobody's ever seen. (laughs) And we'll discuss the first film in the series and give you some speculation on the upcoming Rise of the Silver Surfer. The Fantastic Four, the beginning of the Marvel era. That's the one that started it all. Matter of fact, I will go so far as to say that if you have the first hundred issues of Fantastic Four, you've got the entire Bible of the Marvel Universe right there because... They're still using concepts today in Marvel Comics that were laid out in there. Most of the major characters were introduced there. Most of the alien races, most of the major villains sometime or another appeared during the 100 issues, including Doctor Doom, arguably Marvel's greatest supervillain. One of the greatest supervillains in comics, Well, period. That's it. Like I said, get the first 100 issues of Fantastic Four... Stanley, Jack well, Kirby. Yeah, Stanley and Jack Kirby. That, that more than any other series that they collaborated on was the most synergy between the two of them. You can tell, and even today, you read it, and I defy anybody not to enjoy it. It's got an energy, it's got a freshness, it's got snap, crackle, pop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it's got. And not just Kirby Dot Pops. No, no. Kirby Dot, by the way, for those of you who are not comic book fans, referring to that weird energy crackle that Jack Kirby would draw to signify great forces of cosmic energy at play. And and still to this day, nobody has done it as great as Kirby did. Well, the story goes that Stan Lee's boss, Martin Goodman, had a golf date with the head of DC Comics. At the time, was called Detective Comics. Detective Comics, right. And the owner of DC Comics was boasting about this new comic book they just put out called Justice League of America, how well it was doing. And Martin Goodman never wanted to feel that they, he can't rip off what he can't create himself. <laughs> went back to talk to his, I think it was cousin-in-law? I'm not quite sure. There was a relationship there. Right. And basically told Stanley, I want you to make a superhero team. And the interesting thing is I've seen the original notes that he wrote. It was a much different super team than what we ended up getting. Mm-hmm. It was a much more horror-based really? series where you had... Mr. Fantastic, unable to recoalesce his molecules so quickly, 
Sue Storm was invisible permanently. Wow. And had to wear a, a, a wax mask. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it wasn't a horror-based concept, but became the high-adventure scientific family that we know and love. As a matter of fact, your description of that sounds like a lot what, if somebody was creating the Fantastic Four today, that's probably what they would do. They would have Sue Storm be invisible permanently, and Johnny Storm be on fire all the time. Right. And it's interesting that this thing, it owes as much to pulp style. Stanley was a big pulp fiction fan. Well, you can see that the influence. Fantastic Four is basically challenges of the unknown with superpowers. Which are also basically Doc Savage. Which is, just which was another Kirby creation. Exactly. Yeah. Because even like in the first few issues of Fantastic Four, they didn't wear costumes. They wore like regular jumpsuits. Regular. That was a big deal. It wasn't until the fans started writing in saying, where are the costumes? Where are the costumes? That he gave them these utilitarian, that the beauty of it though is that they were not flashy costumes. They were these utilitarian jumpsuits. Right. In a royal blue with heavy black cuffs yeah. and collars. So it looked like a work it looked like working a work, outfit. Yeah. Something you could actually work in. My favorite of all the, the variations on that was the John Byrne dark navy and white. Yeah, when it came version. back from the negative yes. zone. Yeah. It was a natural that this, the first series that Marvel ever produced, and probably the reason why superheroes are the dominant force in comics, even to this day, it was natural for them to become Saturday morning cartoon figures. Hanna-Barbera got the nod to produce the Fantastic Four cartoon in 1967. Right. Which is something that you and I remember because we saw it. Every Saturday Every morning. Every Saturday morning. Some people might remember it from the fact that Hanna-Barbera packaged it as part of a larger syndication package it called Captain Inventory mm-hmm. in the 70s. And again in the 80s has the Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera. Right. And, of course, it's still playing on Boomerang On Boomerang today. right now. Yeah, you, you can turn on Boomerang and watch it. They show it. Let's just call up the cheat sheet. You we didn't did. actually think that we walked around with all this information oh, in, our, in our head, did you, folks? No, we got to so have it, notes. It was on ABC for two seasons. went into repeats through the 70s. The voice talents, perhaps the biggest names on this list, were Joanne Flew, who played Sue Storm. Joanne right. Flew was a minor B actress in the 60s. Who popped up on stuff like the Love Boat, mm-hmm. Love American Style. Of That's course. why I remember seeing her quite a bit on Love American Style. And she was on the game shows of the time. Right. The other big name was, of course, Paul Freeze, who played Ben Grimm, The Thing, and also Doctor Doom, and probably a number of the other villains. The stories themselves were very condensed, but fairly faithful adaptations of, like, the first 50 issues. Yeah, all of them were uh, The only one they really kind of went out of their way to rewrite was they did the Submariner storyline, but they couldn't do Submariner because Submariner was licensed to Gantrey Lawrence for the Marvel superheroes, so they rewrote him as a character called Triton. I thought they were pretty good. I mean, obviously the animation was very limited. The other voice talents, by the way, uh, Gerald Moore played Reed Richards, and Jack Flounders played Johnny Storm the Torch. They used a lot of the usual early TV cartoon tricks of the day of using stock animation for certain key things they had to repeat over and over again. So Johnny Storm's had, Flame Mom was always the same. The same pose. But it had a very catchy jazz influence. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, it immediately caught your attention when you turned it on. It was terrific. Maybe you can find it someplace and 
put a little cut of oh, it on gonna, the, uh, Just yeah. like with the Spider-Man, don't worry, I got yeah. that covered. So it was an interesting little thing. It could have probably lasted longer, but ABC seemed to not be interested in these things for more than two seasons. The same yeah. thing happened with their Spider-Man series. Most animated cartoons only ran like two or three seasons, and then that was it. Because it wasn't like a big deal. But it was a memorable cartoon for me because, as you said, it was so faithful. The funny thing is it probably features to this day the most accurate adaptation of the Galactus Trilogy storyline. Yes, and they did yeah. it in a half, half an hour. Half an hour. They do it again in the 90s series. It took a whole hour to tell it, and it's nowhere near as good as, as this As good version. as that version. Like you said, they took all three issues, and they did it in a half hour. The story made sense. Mm. It didn't feel rushed. Whoever the writer was on there, the guy obviously studied the comic book. I could tell whoever wrote that obviously was a fan of the story because he knew what he was doing. If you can catch these on Boomerang, these are good shows. Very surprisingly, the only one of these cartoon series that you can get a hold of a complete set is the 90s series. Really? You can't get the most recent one, which we'll get to much later down the line, except in a four-episode compilation. The Phantom Barbera version ended in 1970, and it wasn't until 78 that the Fantastic Four came back again. This time, the production company was DePaith Freeling, otherwise known as the production company behind the Pink Panther shorts, and they did a whole lot of animation for NBC during the 70s. Mm. So one time... Correct me if I'm wrong, there was like a two-hour block of various DePaith Freeling cartoons under oh, the yeah, Pink Panther yeah. umbrella. So they decided to do what they called the New Fantastic Four. <laughs> Lasted one season, 1978. <laughs> they had problems almost from the very beginning, when they were informed by Marvel that they could not get the rights to the Human Torch. I want to talk about this for a second, because this is a rampant urban legend that drives me up a wall every time I hear somebody say this. School Tom! School! Okay, they did not... Replace the Human Torch with Herbie because they were afraid that kids were going to set themselves on fire. Preach, brother. Preach okay. it. Around the same time as this cartoon was being developed, Hallelujah. Universal had the deal with Marvel to produce five two-hour pilots. One of the pilots, the last pilot they were supposed to do, was called The Human Torch and the Submariner. It was set in World War II, and it was going to feature basically the Jim Hammond Human Torch and the Submariner. There were some weird changes to some of the powers. For example, the Submariner had the ability to shoot electricity out of his hands, much like an electric eel. Actually, they got that from the comic book. I distinctly remember... Remember the Tales to Astonish? Yes. The book he shared with Iron Man? I distinctly remember in some of those issues that it was shown he had the power to absorb electricity from electric eels, and then release it, so that was kind of dropped by the wayside. Universal had the rights to the Human Torch, they could not use the Human Torch. Now, rather than using another Marvel character, they came up with the idea of Herb E. That's how it's supposed to be pronounced. Herb E, mm-hmm. who was this doofy robot that was voiced by Frank Welker, who is a famous voice talent, has been doing voice acting for decades now. Yeah, he's been around forever, seemingly. The funny thing is, you would think that this would be the most accurate adaptation of the Fantastic Four because Jack Kirby was in charge of storyboarding and Stan Lee was prime script editor and wrote most of the script. Now, that's the primary bone I got to pick with this because if it was somebody else doing it, then I can understand why they stuck in Herbie. 
But since it's Stan Lee, Stan Lee knows his character. I, it blows my mind that he didn't say, well, you know what? Let me take Crystal and use right. her as the fourth member of the Fantastic exactly. Four. Exactly. And Crystal had the flame powers. Right, because she's elemental. So right. she earth, air, fire, and water. Or Madame Medusa. Hell, even somebody like Luke Cage. Because yeah. Luke Cage served as a member of the Fantastic Four. Right. So it blows my mind as to why Stan Lee just didn't. Unless, of course, going back to your favorite thing. Yeah. They want to make it toyrific and they want yeah. to be toys. To the kids. This is something that, as we get deeper and deeper into these animation-themed episodes, you're going to hear that phrase a lot, and especially when we get talking about the Batman series, toy-rific. This was apparently a term coined by the Warner Brothers executives when they had their first meetings with Joel, Joel Schumacher, Schumacher about Batman Forever, who was basically told... We want these movies to be toyrific. You gotta push the Happy Meals. <laughs> the scripts were kind of subpar. Part of that, I think, is also because they were working under the family rules. Yeah. So you couldn't have a lot of acts of violence in your cartoons anymore. You had these characters with all these fantastic powers who really couldn't do you really couldn't do anything with. Them. So you had Doctor Doom, you had the Mole Man, you had many of the regular villains. You had, for some reason, Magneto showed up in an yeah. episode, usurping Reed Richards' position as the leader of the Fantastic Four. They did an adaption of a famous story where the the thing is kidnapped and brought to Battle World. I remember that. They did the Bluebeard story too, yeah. where the thing goes back in time and he becomes Bluebeard yeah. and he actually wants to stay there right. because he feels more at home there. That's going to show up again in the 94-95 series, yeah. although greatly altered. Mm-hmm. So the, it was a miserable fail. They also put it on at a weird hour, 8.30 in the morning yeah. on a Saturday, which is almost impossible possible for a little kid to wake up for. What are you talking about? On Saturday mornings, I was up at 6 o'clock. Okay. <laughs> I was, that's the only morning I did get go. up early. <laughs> My mother had to beat me out of bed to get me to go to school any other time. So this thing died a miserable death. Although, f- oddly enough, they didn't give up on the thing because the thing showed up in the Hanna-Barbera produced oh, series yeah. a year later, originally called The Flintstones Meet, Meet the, the Thing. Sh- yeah. Then the Schmoo, if I remember the correctly. Thing and the Schmoo. And then just became The Flintstones Comedy Show. And that was so bizarrely altered. Thing ring, do your thing. Thing ring, do your thing. Ben Grimm was a teenager with these, these two rings that when he put them together... He banged them together. together he turned into the thing and he... Solve problems with lost puppies and bikers. Yeah. Oh, getting cats out of trees yeah, and stuff like that. It was, it was pretty bad. <laughs> oh, incredibly, incredibly bad. That was it for the Fantastic Four for a long time, actually. However, we're going to skip to the first movie that ever occurred, although you probably never saw it. Back in the late 80s, a German firm called New Constantine purchased the rights to the Fantastic Four. The head of the New Constantine group was planning on doing a really big budget film at the time featuring the Galactus Trilogy. Not surprisingly, nobody wanted to finance this. (laughs) Now, the way that the rights... Well, they didn't have CGI back then. Back then, you couldn't find anybody that's going to pony up the money it would have taken for the special effects to do it right. By the way, guys, I want to give a shout-out to the 3rd Millennium Entertainment website, who wrote an excellent article where most of these facts are taken from about this project. And uh, you could find them at www.teco170, that's T-E-A-K-O, 170.com. Check this article out if you're interested in this particular film, the Concord version of the Fantastic Four. The way that the rights were structured, 
They were to lapse on December 31st, 1992, unless production started on a film. This guy wanted to do this film badly. He went to Roger Corman, who at the time was starting up his third of three film studios, Concord Productions, and contracted him to co-produce it. And basically he came to him and said, this is the film I want to do. It costs $40 million. How much do you think you can make it cost if you cut it down to the bare bones? And Roger Corman looked at the script and cut this and cut that and cut the <laughs> other and basically said to him, I can do it for you for $1.4 million. So he said, it's a deal. Mm-hmm. And they rushed this thing. Production commenced on December 28th, 1992. Production wrapped in January, the middle of January, 1993. you got to remember something. You know well, I think this is one of the reasons why he chose Roger Corman. Corman. I mean, Roger Corman, Roger Corman, and don't get me wrong, he is a talented filmmaker, and this guy's probably given more work and got more people started in Hollywood than just about anybody else you can name. Like Jack Nicholson, Francis right. Ford Coppola, just to name some. Zemeckis. I think. Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, all of these Peter Bogdanovich. Got this start with Roger Corman. But, at the bottom line, the guy's a businessman. He does right. not believe in making a movie he's going to lose money on. I guess that's why he's never made a movie he's lost money on. Because he'll slash the budget to the bone. and only Actually, he claims that the William Shatner film, Intruder, yeah. has the only film that he actually did not see a pre broke even on, but never saw right. a profit. Okay. But, I mean, he's made like a lot of yeah. classic, like Death Race 2000. Mm-hmm. Paul, David, that's another name, David, Paul Bartell. Paul Bartell, David Carradine. Sly Stallone. Exactly. That was his first major role. Right. So, I mean, Roger Corman is a good filmmaker. Though, let's not get it And wrong. if you need to get a film done as quickly as possible, and this guy needed a film done as quickly as possible, Roger Corman was the go-to yeah. guy back then. If you want a movie made in 30 days, right. go see Corman. He'll, he'll, the director was Ole Sessions. Who? The, he was a video director. This is something that's going to come up a lot also when we get deeper into the Marvel at the Movies project. The cast... Playing Reed Richards was Alex Hyde-White, the son of Wilford Hyde-White. Playing Dr. Doom was Joseph Culp, the son of Robert Culp. Okay. Playing Susan Storm was soap actress Rebecca Staub, who was not the daughter of anyone famous. <laughs> Joseph Underwood played Johnny Storm. Who? Joseph Underwood was a child actor. He appeared in a number of TV shows. Never heard. Moving on. Move on. Michael Bailey Smith played Ben Grimm when he wasn't Ben Grimm. When he was in the Think outfit, Carl Chiafali, an Italian stuntman who knew very little English, which is why he had to have Michael Bailey Smith do the voices, oh, okay. played the Thing in a really ridiculous-looking outfit. But then that's part for the course for this film. I've never seen it, but I know people who have seen it's it. It's weird. I've talked to several people who have seen it. They either say it's the worst thing they've ever seen in their life, which I find it kind of hard if you've ever seen the Captain America movie they did. Yeah. Or it's much better than it has any right to be. That's the same reaction I get from people. I know that it is on YouTube. You know, in nine-minute segments. In nine-minute segments, which I wasn't going to watch because mm. I'm not that dedicated to the cause, folks. I'm not going to sit there and watch a two-hour movie in nine-minute block. I remember way back when when I went to one of the Fangoria, because as you know, I work for Fangoria people, and I am obligated to go to the Fangoria conventions every once in a while. And at one of these, I got a chance to see the trailer. And even from the trailer, you could see how really low rent this thing was. The costumes for the Fantastic Four, they look like something that a mother would put together. Yeah, for kids' Halloween. Kids' Halloween. Right, kids' Halloween. But this is probably, what, like the most, the most, what, the second. This is a This is apparently a true fact. It is the second 
most bought bootleg video at comic book conventions. Yeah. Right behind the, the Star Wars Christmas special. Mm-hmm. The special effects are pitiful. Johnny Storm basically never flames on. He throws fireballs. He throws fireballs. When you do see a full flamed on Johnny Storm, it's a cartoon. Reed Richards only stretches his arms, and you could see the servos (laughs) underneath the mechanism that stretches his arms. And as I've pointed out, the thing suit, which I remember when I was younger, being rather impressed with. Yeah, me too, when I first saw it. Now, through the hard light of nostalgia, looks really, really crappy. Yeah. Whatever but happened to this film? Oh. But the Doctor Doom suit looked fairly faithful from the pictures I've seen. It does and there look was this fa- original character to, uh, in the film, too, called the Jeweler, who also looked kind of freaky-deaky, but looked in a good way. Who I heard was supposed to be like the puppet He's man? Basically the <coughs> Mole Man. Oh, the Mole Man, okay. Yeah. Now, whatever happened to this film, you're thinking? I'm te- we're telling you about this movie. It does exist. Why didn't you ever see it in the theaters? Because it stinks. No, well, beside the fact that it stinks, okay, uh, Jay Sherman? Um, this is what makes me believe that the new Constantine organization was a bit of a con. Preach it, brother. Let them see the light. When they signed the contract with Concord Pictures, new Constantine insists that there was a clause in the contract that allowed the organization to buy the film back at a substantial profit to Roger Corman. Which is why Corman has never complained about this. He said, I made a profit on this yeah, movie. He made he got his money back. The second the film was made, the film production had wrapped and the actors were sent home and told to wait for the invitation for the premiere, New Constantine bought the film back whole. The intention was apparently to go to Fox, who had shown an interest in it because Chris Columbus was a big Fantastic Four fan and sell the rights there. Hmm. When that fell through, they went to Avi Arad, who had just then taken over as owner of Marvel in the mid nineties, right, right. and offered to sell it to him. And Avi Arad bought all the rights, ordered all the extant prints that he got his hands on destroyed, hmm. and proceeded to sell the rights to Fox. So by that time, we're around nineteen ninety four, ninety five. It's now time. For the next in our animation entries. You know, it's just amazing the politics that go on the scenes behind these yeah. movies. Which, well, sometimes... You know, that you never hear about why movies get made. It's like with wrestling. I don't like watching wrestling anymore, but I still like listening to some of these news shows that cover wrestling because I find the stories behind the matches more fascinating right. than what is actually on. Than what you actually see on the... And sometimes... Same, same thing with some movies... Yeah. What happened behind the scenes is something more fascinating yeah. than the actual finished product that you see. I mean, I think screen. when we eventually get around to doing the Frankenheimer story, that the section dealing with the island of Doctor Moreau is going to be a really fascinating oh, one yeah. for people. Marvel was wanted to get into television big time. They had already had two previous animated series on their hands that were very successful: the X Men animated series that they did through Fox and showed up as part of the Fox family lineup and the Spider-Man series. So they wanted to expand into the very lucrative syndication market. At the time, during the 90s, if you remember, repeats had died out totally in favor of original syndication. Right. So they had put together a package called the Marvel Action Hour. It ran for two seasons in syndication. Here in New York, it was shown on Channel 11 at about 9 o'clock on Sunday. And the idea was, if you tuned in, the first half an hour you got to see Iron Man... And the second half an hour, you got to see the Fantastic Four. Marvel was hyping this thing like there was no tomorrow. Oh, yeah. The voice talents here are primarily veteran voice talents. Bo Weaver played Reed Richards. Okay, never heard of him, but... Laurie Allen played Sue Richards. 
Brian Austin Green played Johnny Storm for the first season. And the guy from 90210. And also managed somehow to convince the producers of the first season to allow him to rap a theme song, which is easily the worst theme song for a cartoon involving a Marvel character I've ever heard. I think I remember that vaguely with some horror. Chuck McCann played Ben Grimm. Who probably is the most famous name. And he's easily the best voice talent in that series. The most interesting things about this version of the Fantastic Four is that they expanded outwards a bit. So you had a very strong recurring character in Alicia Masters. Mm -hmm. This is the first time she's really appeared in a recurring role. Right. In the animated Fantastic Four series, and she was played by Pauline Arthur Lomas. And Doctor Doom shows up in a couple of episodes in the first season. John Vernon plays him in a three-part episode, which basically covers the same storyline that the 1978 Doctor Doom episode covered. Only instead of it being the pirates, they go back to ancient Greece. Go figure. John Vernon decided he didn't want to do it after that first three-part episode. So for the second episode, the Doctor Doom shows up and been the first season. Bo Weaver takes his place. John Vernon is a pretty popular yeah. actor, and it's not like he, he, does, he needs the voice work. He does it to supplement yeah. his income because you don't want to turn well, down Well, Vernon goes job, on to become basically the recurring voice of Doctor Strange Doctor in a number. Right. And he did a better job there than he did as Doctor Doom. The first season was produced by Ron Friedman, who also produced the G.I. Joe cartoons, which, and it really shows in the Iron Man series. Which I enjoyed much better than the Fantastic Four, because it was almost like it's, Avengers West Coast. The Ron Friedman version is really badly mishandled. He added an annoying landlady voiced by Stan Lee's wife, Joan, an annoying poodle voiced by Frank Welker, <laughs> some really, really, really lame comedy, mm-hmm. celebrity appearances by Dick Clark and Gary Owens, and in what is probably the lowest point of the series, in the Mole Man episode, they have Brian Austin Green rap another song. Here's what the problem is in a nutshell. The Fantastic Four, the cartoon versions, they handle the Fantastic Four, to me, as just another super team fighting super villains. Right. And to me, the Fantastic Four isn't all about fighting super villains. They're scientists. They're, They're families first. Right. That's where the emphasis should be on the Fantastic Four at their best when they're off in the negative zone yeah. or they're finding these lost kingdoms. And, and the funny the, thing is, is that you know, this whole first season, you got to see Atlantis and you got to see the negative zone and Galactus shows up and they mess it up every single yeah. time. It was painful to watch. Luckily, not the same thing with the second season. Okay. What happened to the second season? Marvel gets wide. <laughs> at this time, they were really trying to make sure that all of their cartoons were under one roof. So they right. handed both the Marvel Action Hour series to the man who was overseeing their cartoons at the time, Tom Tanaranowitz. Okay. This is probably the best version of the Fantastic Four in animation I've ever seen. First thing he did was he fired Brian Austin Green <laughs> and... Good man! <laughs> ...and hired Quentin Flynn to play Johnny Storm. So much better. Instead of having original stories like Ron Freeman did, he adapted these stories freely from... Two eras in the Fantastic Four history. The Stanley Jack Kirby era. Can't go wrong. And the John Byrne era. Again, you can't go wrong. And what amazes me is, once again, in the half an hour, he manages to get everything right. The one that amazes me the most is that he does the famous Malice story. Mm-hmm. In which... Storm goes... Storm goes 
cosmically menopausal. Yes. <laughs> and he managed to do it. It was done very seriously. It was done as if it was done for adults mm-hmm. and not for kids. Yeah. Whereas the first season was obviously done for kids. Well, that's the popular and perception. Saturday morning cartoons is for kids. The other really, really major recasting they did, they cast Simon Templeman as Doctor Doom. Okay. This man is Doctor Doom. Oh, okay, cool. In the first episode, which is an adaption of And a Blind Man Shall Lead Them. Mm-hmm. This is the other thing that was kind of clever about Tom Panoranowitz. He would put characters in he had submitted to Marvel as potential spin-offs. Mm-hmm. At that time, Marvel Productions had been approached by UPN to produce something for their Sunday morning kids lineup. Which they did do Which they later. did do later. Tanneranowitz was pushing for an Avengers series, which unfortunately he did not get to do for a Captain America series. And uh, also Daredevil, I think, as well. Okay. Because what would happen is, he had these characters he was interested in pop up in episodes of the Fantastic Four. So you had the Silver Surfer show up again. For an episode. You had the Hulk show up for an episode in the Fantastic Four and also in the Iron Man series. Right. Daredevil shows up in the first edition of the second season. I just can't emphasize enough how much better this is. And the voice talents get better. All of a sudden, Ron Perlman plays the wizard. Brad Garrett plays Hydra Man. Oh, wow. Brad okay. Brad yeah. Garrett plays Hydra Man. Michael Dorn plays Gorgon. Y'all great inspired Mark, casting. Yeah. Mark Hamill plays Maximus the Mad. <laughs> and the, only, the only villain, casting. the only villain who carries over from the first season that they kept the casting one, and I think it was justified, was Tony Jay, who played Galactus in the first season. And they also instituted these arcs. There's a, a tight continuity, but it's not a continuity that's so tight as in the Spider-Man series, right. where it was choking you to it death. It was choking you to death. You practically had the continuity shoved right. in your face constantly about to keep too much straight in your mind as to what right. was going on. There are basically three overarching stories in this season. One involving the Inhumans and Crystal and Johnny and, and Crystal getting together. It's all about that romance. Oh, okay. One about Galactus and the whole story with John Byrne where they basically release... Galactus from his vow, and then he comes back and says, I'm hungry, I gotta do this. <laughs> Look. Like, they didn't see that one coming. Yeah. <laughs> and also, a little thing about the Storm family. In fact, it was amazing, I, reviewing this this past week, there is, in one of the Galactus stories, there's a quick cutaway to what looks like a generic tramp in a generic flophouse. That's Sue and Johnny Storm's father. Really? Who shows up in another episode. It was very well done, and Tom Tanneranowitz... After the second season of the Marvel Action Hour, they discontinued it. They went and put all their focus on the Hulk, which lasted for two seasons on UPN. On UPN, right. But after the first season, Marvel came to the decision to outsource all their animation to Deke. Yeah. So Tom Tanneranowitz was suddenly out of a job. It's a shame, because obviously the guy was a fan of the comics, and he wanted to really do right and by it. in fact, he got a chance right in an episode of the Hulk to tie up loose ends from the Fantastic Four series. I realized I should have brought this up. This is way back when, 1976. Attention, all true believers. The Fantastic Four radio show. Marvel Comics is on the air. Now you're going into the realm of... They did? I am not making this up. I didn't think you are, but you're going into the realm of Obscuria here. Out of the pages of the world's greatest comic magazine come the adventures of the Fantastic Four. This week's epic, the first tale in this new radio series, is from the original book of Marvel called The Fantastic Four Meet the Mole Man. <laughs> I, I 
actually, I've never even heard go of that. Go to Google, type in people Fantastic Four radio show. Okay, don't think I'm not you going to. You can find episodes. This was back in the old days, so it was done on 35 RPMs, distributed to radio stations. Really? You'll never guess who they got to play Johnny Storm. Who? Bill Murray. There's only one thing I like better than working on cars. What's that? Hey, look. What's that in the sky? That's my cue. Flame on. Wow. Bill Murray played Johnny Storm. All the other actors are pretty much not up to that level. One episode is one issue of the comic, and they start from issue number one, Mm -hmm. and they had a whole season. last about 12, 13 episodes. Because they're on records... They're kind of a bit warped. Yeah. So when you do download the MP3s, just be prepared for some hissing and hissing popping, and, popping. and cracking and all. But that. you guys got to check this out because it's just totally insane. I'm definitely going to do that. We're only going to take a few seconds on the most recent one, which was from 2006. This is a very peculiar, peculiar thing. Which I've only seen one or two episodes mm-hmm. of it, by the way, because I don't know what it is. Cartoon Network seems to not want anybody to see it because it's never on the same time. I've tried to watch more than once. I've only been able to catch two episodes. Right. I don't know what it is. Supposedly, it's- there are 26 episodes this season, and there's going to be 26 episodes this pe- this coming year. Okay. It's a 26-26 package. Thing. can't be very popular, because I don't know anybody that really crazy about it. I think it there was or, a backlash Or anybody that talks about it. It's because Cartoon Network canceled the Justice League Unlimited series a couple months before. Oh, yeah. Well, I was through with them after they did that. I'd go down to Atlanta, Georgia to visit yeah. my sister, I and I'd drive right by the Turner <laughs> Broadcasting building, where it's Cartoon Network, and I was getting ready to stop. My wife said, what are you going to do? They canceled Justice League. What do you think I'm oh, going to do? She said, keep driving the car, Terry. But no, they canceled, like, yeah. Samurai Jack. They got rid of Justice League Unlimited. It was, a weird, it was a weird decision. Cartoon In favor of the Ed, Ed and Eddie Marathon, yeah. all-day marathons that they have. It's a very peculiar show. They outsourced to a French animation company called Moon Scoop Ante Films. Bless you. (laughs) It's very, it's weird because it looks kind of anime but isn't. It's very stylized. The thing decides to basically spray paint a four four on on his his chest. chest. Yeah, for what? But they're committed to 52 episodes of this thing. I don't know if it's doing well or not. I I have no idea either. Because usually when people, especially comic book fans, when they're rabid they about something, they get behind and they talk about Well, look at me. I don't hear anybody talking about this. As fantastic. you know, Derek, Fantastic Four. In fact, a little bit of a way back in the day story. I swear this is one of my few very vivid memories from when I was this young. Mm-hmm. The first comic book bought for me by my parents. I remember, you know why I remember this? Because this store is in the neighborhood that I live in right now, Mm -hmm. and it's still standing. Really? Okay. When we went to visit my doctor, Dr. Sferraza, my parents decided to buy me a comic book. The first comic book that they bought for me was Fantastic Four number 103. Okay. Which was the first issue drawn by John Romita. Mm -hmm. It opens with the four of them and Crystal having a hot dog out on Fifth Avenue. Okay. What happens, though, is Crystal starts getting really sick, and this is when they discover that the impure air outside of the Great Refuge it's, is harmful it's, it's to humans. It's making sick, right. And there's, like, this big, weird meteor monster thing that's running around, but uh-huh. it turns out it's just like a benevolent alien in the second part of the story, yada, yada, yada. I am very fanatical about the Fantastic Four. A lot of people are. I literally don't know anybody who doesn't like the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four is just like universally loved by comic book fans. I had the opportunity because they put out one collection of this new Fantastic Four. I thought it was the first season collection, but it's only four episodes. Okay. And I said, I can wait for this. I looked at it, and I looked at the back, 
I looked at the description of the episodes, uh-huh. and I looked and I said, I think I can wait for this. Okay. If a Fantastic Four cartoon has gotten that much of a lack of enthusiasm from Yeah, me, yeah. And this is somebody who just recently sat through the whole first season of the Marvel Action Hour stuff, which I despise. Remember how we talked about all this stuff about New Constantine and Roger Corman? Eventually, Chris Columbus had a great interest in the Fantastic Four and managed to convince Fox to purchase the rights. But Columbus went on to the Harry Potter. Yeah, he did what, like the first two? He did the first two. Yeah. So he got occupied elsewhere, but Fox really wanted another superhero franchise. So because the X Men was winding down, right. and they wanted something to step into. They tapped place. Tim Story once again. Who's that? Video director. Oh, I know Tim. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with Tim Story. They proceeded to work on the first Fantastic Four film, major, big budget, multi million oh, yeah. dollar production. Although oddly enough, some of the special effects are still pretty creaky, which I find funny. It looks like a well. well, well t- okay. I will save my ire. The cast features Elon. Gilford has Reed Richards. It's a Welsh name. It's actually supposed to be said like Joshua Schwartz, I think, is how yeah, it's really so, pronounced. Yeah. Jessica Alba <sighs> uh, played Sue Storm. Get later, a grip. later in this recording session, you know we're going to get you the one true love of my life. Oh, yeah. You know that. People are going to despise me after this episode. <laughs> Chris Evans played Johnny Storm. Okay. Michael Chiklis played Ben Grimm. And Julian McMahon, formerly of Profiler and presently of Nip Tuck, Nip Tuck, played Doctor Doom. They made a couple of rather major changes into the script. Primary among them was that instead of it being just an exploratory rocket that went up, this was a project that Reed Richards had brought to Victor Von Doom, uh-huh. and they went up in the space station. Which I didn't have a problem with. I thought actually it was rather I, eloquent. Part of the problem with first films in a franchise like this is that you have to go back and tell everybody's origin including right. your villain. This way everybody's origin is the same. So you cut through a lot of crap that you would probably have to go through with Doctor Doom. And also you eliminate that problem of why would Reed Richards take his fiance right. and take him on a spaceship and yeah. where are they go? The other thing is they, that they establish that Johnny Storm is a former NASA pilot. No, There's a reason for everybody, everybody to be there. Right. Be there. Exactly. Unlike, well I'm going with you. And I'm going with Sis. In that respect, they did improve on the basic concept that we know of the Fantastic Four by giving them all a reason to be out there. They made other mistakes, though. Oh, man. To be fair, apparently, they had asked Julian McMahon to do Doctor Doom with an accent at first. But the accent was going so badly, they just said, oh, just be Julian McMahon. Yeah. Part of the problem, I think, is in the fact they felt that Doctor Doom was not threatening enough. Well, you look at Julian McMahon, and don't get me wrong, he's a wonderful actor. I love right. him in Nip Tuck. Mm-hmm. But when I look at him, I don't see Doctor Doom. I look at somebody like Jude Law. Okay, yeah. I can see Doctor Doom. Who's going to looks like he'll be playing Ozzy Mendez in The Watchmen. Film. Yeah, but I look at him, and I'm sorry, I just don't see Doctor Doom. And in the movie, he does the best he can with what yeah. he's got to work and I, with. People say he was terrible. He's not <sighs> bad. The problem is, is the character is terribly underrated. Yeah, that's right. He's basically turned into the Green Goblin, yeah. if you think about it. I, one of the things I really liked about McMahon's performance, the physicality he gave the role, mm-hmm. when he's like shooting these electrical bolts, which is one of my other big problems, right. he's doing it from behind, yeah. from below, as opposed to doing the big yeah, doing the thing, thing right. which speaks more of a practical person. He gives it more of a dramatic yeah. flair by doing it that way than just by simply sticking out his arm yeah. straight out. And like, but the know, biggest it's almost like he's throwing a fastball yeah. underhand right. you know, when he does it that way. Something you know, more regal about yeah. doing it like that. Yeah. The biggest problem, I think, with the Doctor Doom character is that he 
is given all these extra powers. He's basically Colossus, this organic metal being with this control over electricity and machinery and yada, yada, yada. Part of the thing that makes Doctor Doom one of the coolest villains ever is that he doesn't have all that. He's right. just a really, really, really frighteningly smart human being. Probably the smartest person on the yeah, planet. Yeah, I think one of the things they make very clear is that he's smarter than Reed. He, he's smarter than Reed, but the only thing that gets in his way is his ego. Right. That's it. While they gave Julian McMahon the ego, they also, I think, diminished the character. Yeah, and they concentrated on the powers instead of the character of I Dr. think the Dome. casting as a whole was a mistake in the film. Really? Even Michael okay. Chiklis? Two characters are incredibly well cast, two characters are incredibly badly cast. Okay. Michael Chiklis, who turns out was a Fantastic Four freak. Yeah. He said, it's, this is a dream role for me. How could I not take this job? Yeah, and he suffered because that, that suit, suit was... That suit, he had some real claustrophobic issues wearing that suit, right. but he loved the character so much and he loved Fantastic Four. He, he focused Four. past he, it. Yeah, he, they had a board that he had to rest on because he didn't have the mobility to sit down in that suit. They yeah. had a therapist on set, so when he got this claustrophobic attacks, the therapist could help him work through it. You and know? Chris Evans is really, really, really good as Johnny Storm. I thought that. I, I thought and they had the, this great chemistry I together. I thought they got the chemistry of the characters from the comic book down perfect. Yeah. The big brother, little brother kind of bantering you know, kind of thing. I know that there are some people who hate this more than we do, who complain about the sequence where Johnny Storm sneaks out and does the motocross. Yeah. But that's what Johnny Storm would do. That's what he I does. thought it was an excellent transliteration of what Johnny Storm was in the 60s, which was a hot rodder, right. into the modern day. They stay true to the character. However, and you know I love me with my Jessica Alba. Oh, uh, you and Jessica Alba can both go too. <laughs> she was terrible in this. I, and this goes back to Dark Angel. Well, Dark Angel is and creepy I, for me to look at. And I watched it. I don't know what it is about it. People say, oh man, but she's hot. Yeah, and so... And it was really creepy looking in Dark Angel. Primarily because she looks she's about 11 years old. And to this day, I still don't understand what everybody saw in that show. There wasn't anything The, the aggravating thing for me, has a Fantastic Four fan, you know who they had originally cast in this role? Who? Rachel McAdams. Okay. Of Red Eye. Who I think would have been perfect because Sue Storm is an all-American girl. She's not this wispy, pale-skinned Latina type. No, when I think of Sue Storm, who I see, you I, remember Gail O'Grady yes, from NYPD Blue? She's on Boston Legal nowadays. <clears throat> yeah, and they're, they're allowing her to speak in her own voice, which is so much better than that. Right? Doing yeah, Gail O'Grady. I look sure. at her and I see Sue Storm. I look at Jessica Alba, I don't see Sue Storm, and I don't understand people. The meaning part of the movie was when was, remember they were on the bridge like and five she, times and she got a strip. She could turn the clothes invisible, people. That's just so we can get to see Jessica Alba strip. She's wearing half of the film basically a skin tight scuba outfit. That leaves nothing to the imagination. Yeah. Why does she have to strip down to her underwear? Hey, because that's what the boys want to come see. They want to come see. I'm Jessica perfectly Alba. happy seeing her in the, the skin tight scuba outfit. Yeah. You know me. I love me my Jessica Alba. Then they had the scene where the thing is sitting down and. And the bird, the bird poops, poops on them. My basic problem with this film is that it's not a movie. It's not a movie. No. It's a it's big a, budget TV pilot. It's, a, it's not a big budget. There's, At least not to me. It's not a big there's budget. There's no real motivation for the story. There's no reason really for Dr. Doom to be doing what he's doing. It's, Th- that I mean, it's just they need a villain. It's like I say, he's basically Green Goblin yeah. in the first Spider-Man film. In that Green Goblin's just pretty mean. Dr. Doom is supposed to be a man with grand vision. 
Right. This is the man who basically said, well, oh, okay, let me see. What can I do today? I think I'll steal the Silver Surface cosmic powers. Oh, now that's not to talk about thinking big. Now, one of my favorite big. obscure Doctor Doom stories is the last two issues of Super Villain Team-Up, where he basically takes over the world. And he gets bored with it, and basically... Oh, yeah, when he has the gas. Yes. And Wonder Man isn't affected. He releases the gas right. into the atmosphere. It spreads throughout the world. And, and he's conquered, but nobody knows it. And he, exactly. He gets bored by it, so he releases... Magneto and the Beast and says, stop me, please. Well, what fun is it coming yeah. if nobody knows you've done it? But you know what I like? What? In Supervillain Teemo. You remember when the Submariner got this poisoning? Yeah. And he had to wear the black outfit? The black outfit, That yes. had the wings? Which I always thought was kind of cool. Which I thought was cool, too. But remember that Von Doom really got his nut off because yeah. he was able to cure Atlantis and Reed Richards couldn't do it? Yes. He made a telephone call. He said, oh, guess what? I just cured the Atlanteans where, and you've been working. You're welcome! For, and you've been working <laughs> for years to do it and I couldn't do it. Now put that in your stretch. Yeah. We come back to this again. That's the thing that I find so fascinating about Doctor Doom is that he is the smartest person in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And I think Reed Richards knows it. Well, it's been said time and time again, because let's not forget, if Doctor Strange hadn't become Sorcerer Supreme, it would have been Victor Von Doom. It's been said time and time again that he could actually be Earth's greatest hero. If he wasn't such a screwed up individual and that his ego... He has the other great thing that makes a great supervillain great. He doesn't think he's a villain. Of course He not. just feels that the world could be a better place and all that the people need to do is understand that he could show them. <laughs> yeah, but, but exactly. Which is why I can't stand a villain like the Red Skull, let's say, who is just, I'm evil! Oh, I hate people! Oh, I'm yeah. evil, evil, evil! Yeah. The problem is it's basically a pilot. A whole, I don't know if you watched it recently, there is a whole crap load of montage footage. Yeah. There's something like five different montages in the film that eat up time. Little comedy things like three stretching across the way to pick up the toilet paper. Right. And personally, I think some of the CGI special effects are pretty bad. Some of the stuff involving Reed Richards stretching looks very artificial. Speaking of Reed Richards and being artificial, come to the other <laughs> major... One thing before we move away from Jessica Alba, what I always found funny was that around the same time, if you remember, mm-hmm. that Fantasy Four was in production, they were doing the Daredevil film. Yeah. And I had never understood why Jennifer Garner was cast as Electra, other than she was, of course, the Flavor of the Month at that time. Well, that's exactly what it was. And Jessica Alba was cast as Sue Storm because she was the Flavor, she of, the was the flavor of the Month. However, if you had switched the two actors... I think you would have had better films. I think Jennifer Garner is much closer to what Sue Storm is, and Jessica Alba has that slightly exotic. You're not quite exactly. The problem with Jennifer Garner as Electra, she's supposed. I find it funny that in Daredevil she, she has looked, a very Greek-looking father, and she and looks she like looks, she stepped out of Kansas. She in no way looks Greek, but yeah, okay, now that you mention it, I can see. Yeah, Jessica Alba would have had that exotic look, and she would have been a yeah. better, a much better. You know, okay, let's just call him Jeremy Schwartz. Jeremy Schwartz um, <laughs> is pretty bad as well as Reed Richard. I think part of it is he was struggling with an American accent. With an American accent, because he's a Welsh he, Not everybody can be Eulori, yeah. and effortlessly put out an American accent. His right. accent is obviously artificial. Yeah. The other problem is the two of them have, have no chemistry together. No chemistry I at all. I don't believe these people are in love with each other and for also, a minute. Jessica Alba has no chemistry with Chris Evans. She has no chemistry with anybody. And it's so weird watching her, because a frequent motif of the Fantastic Four comic is Sue admonishing Johnny. She looks way younger than Chris Evans it's does. It's kind of hard to believe that she's supposed to be the oldest sister when she looks she looks like five, ten years younger yeah. than her supposedly now baby brother. I understand, brother. ladies and gentlemen, that 
the film is built around this love story. Right. That is the whole central fulcrum that this film revolves around. It is because of this love story that Doctor Doom wants revenge mm-hmm. on Reed Richards, which is kind of petty, but once again, we're talking about basically the Green Goblin here. We're talking about the movie version. It's all about this love story, and it ends with, of course, Reed proposing marriage to Sue. And they have no chemistry at no, all. Don't it's like watching two lumps of butter. I don't for a second believe that these people are so much madly in love. Although, you know? oddly enough, on the DVD, there are a couple of deleted scenes, and there's one scene with the two of them in a planetarium, and they're talking about one of their first date together. Okay. The two actors show more charm and personality and comfort with each other in that one scene than you do in the whole film. But I think it's showing now in what little we've seen of the next film. Well, in the second one, yeah, but from all reports, this one is a lot better. They and say, I think everybody says, okay, well, they yeah. got it right with this one. You know? And I think part of that is because they got all the origin stuff out of the way. You will hear filmmakers say this all the time when they do any kind of series like yeah. this. They wish that they could make the second film first. Right. Because in the first one, you got to set up everything. And a lot of them, they find that tedious. They which brings us, of course, to Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, which is going to be out in your theaters on June 15th. We're hoping to get this out on the 14th, so you'll be able to hear it beforehand. We've if seen we th- don't, blame Tom. Uh, yeah, of course. Because <laughs> I do all the editing. Well, we've seen the trailers. We've seen some scenes... You watched Heroes on Monday nights, right? Not anymore, I don't. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Don't mention Heroes to Tom Folk. But well, we got an episode coming up where you'll hear how... In the season finale, yes. they had like a whole five-minute sequence okay. where it was out in the woods and Sue Storm was talking to the Silver Surfer. Right. She throws up her force field and he sticks his face through it. <laughs> I mean, it cracked me up. The whole cast is back. Including also some of the secondary, like uh, Kerry Washington, who played Alicia, Alicia Masters, Masters yeah. in the first film. The addition of Doug Jones has the Silver Surfer. Doug Jones. Doug Jones, Jones famous creature from Hellboy. So he was in Hellboy. He was he in did, Hellboy. Uh, Abe Sapien. Yes, he was Abe Sapien in Hellboy. He played two roles in Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth. Um, and he played all the imps in Doom. Yeah. He's a very well-known, very established, what they call, creature performer. The voice, however, even though he's got a perfectly acceptable voice... Yeah, I've heard his voice. He's got a wonderful voice. It's provided by Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne, yeah. And apparently they're doing the Galactus story, which is going to be interesting. The thing, though, that strikes me about what I've seen so far, in terms of the clips and the trailers and stuff, is that my big complaint about certain characters not having chemistry with each other seems to be gone. I guess they're much more comfortable with each other because this is their yeah, second film. This is the, second f- the one scene where they're kind of like lined up all four of them mm-hmm. and they've just seen Silver Surfer do something incredibly insane mm-hmm. and Reed goes uh, off on this incredibly long bit of gobbledygook mm-hmm. and with a total dead pet just kind of just looks up. still eyes are all still focused goes I am so hot for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you sit there and you go yes I can see that happening yeah, in a that Marvel happen. book. That's funny. But it looks like I'm First of all, the look of the Silver Surfer, that's it. They obviously did... Well, I think they're obviously looking... I think that's a major thing that many of these franchises have an eye on now, is spinoff. And I think that they're hoping that they could get a spinoff. I do, I think so too. Somewhere down the road, they're thinking, maybe we can get a Silver Surfer movie out of this. Right, much like they are getting uh, Wolverine and Magneto movies out of the X-Men franchise. Are they still going ahead with that? Oh, yes, they are. No, the Magneto movie? Oh, yeah. Because I actually heard that using... 
the technology that they use in the third X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. Remember how they used yeah. the digital thing to make Ian McKellen yeah. and Patrick Stewart look younger? Yes. So he's basically going to play the role himself as a younger guy. Well, they better hurry quick because figure he's, he's been <laughs> on you. We love us some Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen is a great actor, but he is getting on in years. Yeah. Yeah, back to the face. So it's obvious yeah. that they're trying to, to do this possibly spinning off the Silver Surfer. Exactly, yeah. What do we know about this? We're going to start either start or first somewhere in the first act. We're going to get Reed and Sue's wedding. Yeah, because they show that clip of right. her. She's in a wedding. She's dress in the wedding she's, gown. And she's stopping a helicopter right. with a fourth. There's thing. this gimmicky thing which I first thought was just going to be like a gag, where exposure to the the peculiar cosmic rays of the Silver Surfer allow the four to switch switch powers. powers. Yeah. But it looks like that's going to be a major plot element. Because Michael Chiklis is one scene I see where he's, he's human yeah, and he snaps his fingers and he's got the fight. And there's also a similar scene that I saw with Jessica Alba flamed on outside really? a window and Reed is going, are you okay? And she's like, <laughs> I'm on freaking fire! What do you think? <laughs> that's good. I'm sitting here going like, it's obvious that these people have bonded. Yeah. And yeah. it looks like what they're also planning on well, doing... Well, now they know how right. each other's work, and as you said, it's all about comfortability right. with you know, the other actors. And yeah. it seems like what they're doing is they're going to do the Galactus story, but also the legendary story we referred to earlier in the episode with a Doctor Doom stealing the power cosmic. Because there's this one scene that we've seen in the trailer with... Doom and the surfer meeting at the edge of a waterfall. How much you want to bet this one ends on a big cliffhanger? It how, how much you want to bet me. that it ends on? Because that seems to be the thing yeah. now. Ever since it's uh, trilogies now. Yeah, Trilog- trilogies. Ever now. since the Lord of the Rings. Well, so, well, it goes back to Star Wars too. The Lord of the Rings is when all this trilogies people started thinking towards trilogies. If right. You think about it. But I'm saying in reference to the second film being a mm-hmm. cliffhanger. Right. And you got to come back two or three years later for the, the next third one. Right, yeah. for the third one. I mean, because they've done it with the Pirates of the Caribbean, which is kind of the Star Wars for this generation. Right. But you're right. That's the thing. Give us a trilogy. They've said that Galactus is going to show up, but he's not going to be the big purple guy in the short pants. He's going to be something a lot more abstract. But you know, they could actually do it. Have you seen any shots of Galactus in the Marvel Alliance? What's that? Uh, oh, yes, yes, you know, I the have. Video game? The video game, yes. Yeah, and they have some shots of the mm-hmm. CGI Galactus. Right. And he looks pretty damn impressive. Yeah. They could do him. Now, there. the question is I'm assuming that this one is probably going to do better than the first one. Oh, yeah. Because the first one did fairly well, obviously. That's why we're getting a second one. Well, yeah, I mean, the first one, it didn't do the business that they thought yeah. it was going to do, but it did enough that we got a sequel. The question is, not counting the fact they're probably going to pay a lot of fines to the U.S. Mint for their uh, little stunt they pulled recently, Mm -hmm. they're probably going to make a little bit of money, and chances are we're going to see a third one because of the trilogy mentality in Hollywood today. Right. Providing that it's not a cliffhanger and we don't don't see, like, the second part of the Galactus story, what do we want to see in the next one? That's interesting. Usually... When you think of a Fantastic Four movie, you think of the Galactus Trilogy, right. and then it's like, okay, well, where do you go from here? Inhumans. You can't do the Inhumans. That's too many characters. One thing I know that, that you're not a big fan of the character, it would be an easy sell to the public, would be the Mole Man. Oh, I like the character. Yeah. I, I just think that a lot of people would look at that and, and think, what, Mole Man? Although, it would be easy to do. It would be easy to do, and you get lots of cool, goofy monsters. And, and you got CGI guys. Yeah. They would definitely earn their money. You know, he's one of my favorite characters. I wouldn't complain seeing the Mad Thinker. Yeah, but he would be a little bit harder to yeah. pull off. You've got these physical characters. Look, I just flashed tonight. Can you imagine? Because I always got the impression that the Mad Thinker was a little bit older than some of the... You know, just somebody like Anthony Hopkins. 
Oh, he could tear that. He had that, like, with the eyes. Just... No, I mean, th- there's plenty of stuff there. I just don't think the Inhumans would work. This is why I don't think Because here's the reason why because I suggested you... the Inhumans. Because, once again, if you're thinking like a, a Hollywood executive and you're thinking spin-off. Right. The Inhumans could spin off into their own film. But you've got to take time out of the movie. You've got to right. explain who the Inhumans are. You've got to explain why they live in the Himalayas. Right. Then you've got to introduce Black Bolt, Medusa. Well, they managed to do it on the 95 TV show. They did it fairly well. In fact, it was funny because it's like you, you look at the last couple of episodes of that series. It was obvious they were setting the Kree up as the major villain for the third season. If they got on a green light. For- do that for the third one. They could have the Kree. That would bring us maybe Captain Marvel. Exactly. They could do that. That would give them a nice out of space based yeah. story if they decided. Well, of course, know, my favorite out. Fantastic Four villain of all time is, of course, Annihilus. There go into the negative zone. No. Big creepy cockroach guy, you know? Bring him to Earth. Because, as we all know, Reed Richards has got his own private yeah. gateway to a hostile universe, <laughs> and nobody knows why. Have him come through the negative zone portal to Earth. You could do Annihilus. Yeah. You know? That's the thing, as you yourself pointed out. 102 issues Stanley and Jack Kirby did together. And there's so much of a wealth of material there. You know me. I'm a big fan. Go back to the source material. Right. Just go get the comics and look through it. And it's like now that you guys are all comfortable with each other, now that all these problems with chemistry are done with, let's do something fun and goofy. Exactly. There you go. First off, I think we both agree that the first film was not all that great. It's fair. I don't hate it. I don't dislike it. But yeah. I'm not that crazy about it. You want to hear us talk about things we hate. Wait till we get to Daredevil. And, uh, Booyah! <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or that Captain America film. Oh man, when we get or that movie. Avengers cartoon. Oh, we going. Oh, to, we're going to be ripping up some going, tail that night. We're going to sharpen up the knives for that one. I, Are you going to be seeing the second one? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. Of course, you know. I understand. I, I, I'll tell you the truth. I, I didn't dislike the first one enough yeah. to not go see the second. one uh, Hell, I want one of those little. Co- you heard about that? The coins. What's that? The police department for this film decided they were going to get a whole slew mm-hmm. of quarters and just plunk a photoshopped image of the Silver Surfer over George oh, Washington's face. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want one of those coins, but apparently the mint is. And early. when you find one of them, you can go to a private screening of yeah. the movie. I want one of them just to have. Of course, I'm going to go see it because the Fantastic Four is one of these characters that I have a tremendous affinity for. Mm-hmm. It's like with Daredevil, even though I was not all that pleased with the Daredevil film, although I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as everybody claims it is, mm-hmm. I would still go and see the sequel if and when it gets done, even though I want to set Mark Stephen Johnson on fire. <laughs> Man, I hate that guy now. But then you haven't heard that episode yet, but you will. We're still going to have more of this weird French Fantastic Four on Cartoon Network. Which I am going to make a serious effort to try. and Tivo a couple of them, we'll watch them together. Yeah. And we'll put that as part of the next We Saw It. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do that today. I'm going to okay. set my TiVo, get a season pass. That's why I make sure okay. I don't miss it. And what I'll do is, and see, I'm committing myself to this. So to, mark it down, folks. To the public. I'll TiVo about like four episodes, okay. and we'll sit down we'll and watch, watch it, together. and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it with you guys, okay? Also, I think we've agreed that the X-Men is going to be the next part of the Marvel at the movies. To tie in with the upcoming animated series, Wolverine and the X-Men? You intend for me to have no friends left, don't you? <laughs> you keep pulling, you keep pulling out keep, these things, you know I'm going to tear well, apart. Well, when we committed to Marvel at the movies, that means we have to commit to all the Marvel franchises. Uh, that means dealing with Daredevil. That means dealing with Elektra. Oh. That means dealing with 
the Wolverine and the X-Men. Oh, you know? man, I gotta stock up on the antacid. A few things for those of you who are uh, fans of the show. And once again, guys, thanks a lot for your input from the last couple of episodes. If you want to hear previous episodes, please go to betterinthedark.podomatic.com. All of our episodes are available there. Once we run out of space, what we're going to do is we're going to take the older episodes and remove them, and we're going to put them on CD that you can purchase for a very minimal price. Which we haven't decided upon yet. But and no we're worries. also going to put on some extras. We're going to we're talking about doing a alternate commentary to a film that we mentioned in one of these episodes. Right. We just haven't decided which one yet. You can go there. One thing that will really, really, really help us is to go to Podcast Alley. And vote for us, because the higher up we get there, the more attention we're going to get. You can, as always, write us at official email address, which is betterndthedark. That's better, the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. And if you really are interested in hanging out and talking about movies, if you're as passionate about movies as we are, you can go to Yahoo Groups and join the Better in the Dark mailing list. Oh yeah, that's right. We've got that We've now. got that's that right. too. Yeah. There are plenty of ways to interact. You suggest new episode topics and just talk about the episodes. Talk about whatever turns you on. Let us we know want what you like. Yeah. More importantly, what you didn't like. like <laughs> the idea for the mailing list is that it's going to be a freewheeling form of, for people who love movies. Thanks go out this time to comic book resources who are going to provide all the music clips that are going to go on underneath this uh, episode. Okay. The next thing that you guys are going to hear is the first We Saw That episode, where we go back to our preview episode of March and April and tell you what we saw in that preview and what we thought of it. But the next thing that we're recording now is going to be our episode on movies that you haven't seen, but maybe should. Oh, yeah. So, guys, until next time, enjoy yourselves, and more importantly, go see that movie. Take care. Okay. This is pretty uninspired. The big bad Doctor Doom kidnapping me just to lure us here to your wretched little island. Yes, I'm so sorry to involve you in the time-worn damsel in distress cliché, Mrs. Richards. I feel the only thing missing is the onrushing train. However, sometimes expediency outweighs originality. Now, with your permission... You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Some sound clips are courtesy www.comicbookresources.com. Thanks go out to the Joffrey Street crew at Coolshite on the Tube at www.coolshite.com for continuing to talk about us. Better in the Dark advises you to have prior training before agreeing to sneak onto an experimental rocket ship and risk exposure to cosmic rays. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley and join our film discussion group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash betterinthedark. Better in the Dark is a conspiracy productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, please remember not to try and eat the world while wearing shiny purple hot pants. Sorry, Doom. We'll have to take a rain check. What? What is happening? Why, it's my anti-cosmic flying wing, Doom. Courtesy of Tony Stark. And just in time to drain you of your misbegotten cosmic powers.